your Bibles to Psalm 139, page 521 in the Blue Bible. If you use one, 521, Psalm 139. It wasn't my intention this morning to, to preach from Psalm 139, but I preached from Psalm 37 a couple of weeks ago, and one of our dear saints, uh, that was in the evening, one of our dear saints came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I thought you had said it in the morning that you were going to be preaching from Psalm 139. And so she wasn't disappointed necessarily in the sermon, just that she thought she was going to hear Psalm 139. And so I went home that evening and I was reading from Psalm 139, and then I couldn't help the next morning picking up and reading again and reading it over several times and then thinking, yes, this would be a great text for us to look into as a congregation. Many commentators think that this is the height of the book of Psalms, that this great psalm here, what it teaches us about the character and nature of God, what it teaches us about God's love for his people and tender care and mercy toward his people is exceptional. And so it is a good place for us to turn and to be encouraged by this morning. And so let's read the psalm. We're not going to be looking at all of the verses, but certainly I want to read all the verses for us this morning. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 24. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. 
Oh God, we pray now that your word would be a light unto our path, a light unto our feet, that we would be led of you by the illumination of your Holy Spirit as we look into these great and wonderful concepts of who you are and your love for us, Lord, that we would be reminded and impressed by these things in such a way that you would truly grip us in the depths of our hearts with the wonder and the amazement of the glory, the power, and the wisdom of God. Help us now, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the summer is a time when many people hit the highway, and they go various places. Camping, fishing, Bible camps, athletic camps, visiting family, all kinds of things where we head out on the highway. And as we head out on the highway, we want to be sure to take certain things with us. Because we all know what a pain it is when you forget something when you're packing. You either have to do without it, you have to go and rebuy it, or you have to borrow it. Unless it's a toothbrush, you never want to borrow a toothbrush. But it can be a great pain when we forget things. And when we go out on the highway this summer, there are theological truths that we should take with us, regardless of where we are going. Great truths like the ones that we see here, great insights that we see in this passage, truths that we should pack up with us as we go and head out on the highway. Well, what are they? As we head out on the highway, the first thing we need to remember is that God is omniscient. We see that in verses 1 through 4. We'll read those again. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God is omniscient. God knows all things. God knows all things that are possible. God knows all things that are actual. God has knowledge in and of himself. He doesn't go to another to gain this knowledge. He doesn't learn more and more as he goes along over the decades and centuries. God has all knowledge at his disposal all of the time. He knows all things past. He knows all things present. knows all things future. Not only those things real, but those things that could be, that would be possible, every single variable. And he knows all of it all at once perfectly well. It's amazing. That's mind-blowing to think about. God knows all things all at once. He's not waiting for different things to happen and unfold before he knows them. He knows them all. He sees everything. He knows everything perfectly and intimately, and that includes you. We look at verse 1. David says, you have searched me and known me. This searching here is a sifting. It means to sift. Every single thought, verse 2, is discerned. Every single deed, verse 3, is searched out. Every single word, verse 4, he knows before we know it, before we think of it, before we speak it, God knows it. Everything about us is known with 100% accuracy. Everything. Everything is sifted through, weighed, and measured. God knows all things. God is omniscient. And why shouldn't he be? He created all things. And he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We see that in Ephesians 1 and verse 
11. And then secondly, the second truth we know from this passage is that God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Simply put, that means God is everywhere. And it makes sense that if God is everywhere, that he knows all things. And if he knows all things, that he's everywhere. He needs to be everywhere to know all things. And so we see this reciprocal relationship within the attributes and the character of God. And David asked the question in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And then he gives us the answer in verse 8. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, the wings of the morning, and that we take to mean sunrise. Talking about when the sun rises. And then the uttermost parts of the sea. That would be sunset. If you think about the nation of Israel and then the Mediterranean Sea to the west as the sun is setting, the uttermost parts of the sea, whether it's sunrise, whether it's sunset, God is there. And we can picture that sun setting over the sea right here in Vancouver. As we look out across the beach, we see that sun setting and we know that God is there in the midst of it. So David is saying that God is absolutely everywhere, whether it's up, down, whether it's heaven, whether it's hell, whether it's east, whether it's west, God is there. And Gordon Clark says that God transcends all spatial limitations and is immediately present in every part of his creation. Or to say it another way, we could say that everything and everyone is immediately in God's presence. Everything and everyone is immediately in God's presence. We're going to die and stand before God in His presence. But there is the truth that right now, right here, we are living in God's presence. We are always living before the presence of God. God sees us and the implications of this are very vast and far-reaching. And it's no wonder that as David considers these things that he breaks out in verse 6 and says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. He's overwhelmed with the spiritual truths and realities of the character and nature of God. And I wonder for us, has that ever been the case with us? Where we might be reading a particular passage or struck with a particular truth about the gospel and we're overwhelmed by it such that We have to stop and consider and ponder all that God is and all that he's done for us in the person of Christ. And so wherever you go this summer, wherever the highway takes you, whether it's a remote lake fishing, whether it's the Swiss Alps hiking, whether it's a staycation and you're just staying home and working this summer, wherever it is, the realities here are true. That God is omnipresent and that God is is omniscient. And you see here in verses 11-12 that uh, the black of night is like the light of day to God. There's no difference. I can remember when I was a kid very vividly. I was around 10 years old. And the city of New York in July of, that, of 1977, in July, there was a huge lightning storm and it struck power lines and it wiped out electricity for the city of New York. And I don't know, maybe some of you are old enough to remember that. I remember it quite vividly because what took place on our TVs watching the news was quite startling. As the city of New York went dark for two nights, there was what you would imagine there could be. There was looting, 1,600 stores. There was 
all kinds of thievery, there was vandalism, damage, murders, riots, all things taking place. Luxury cars to potato chips were stolen. It was a crazy time in the streets of New York that occurred there. And what is the reason that this occurred? Why would this happen? Well, because people thought that they were anonymous. Under the cover of darkness, they weren't seen. And of course, with man, we don't see these things. But with God, God sees everything. And so it's foolish for us to think that because a person doesn't see us, that God wouldn't. But the, the character and nature of God is such that he looks down from heaven, says Psalm 33. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. Darkness or light, it is no matter to God. He sees everything. I was once down on the coast of, uh, of Oregon. And, and when you go down there, you can go down this elevator shaft deep and dark down into the earth. And one of the things that they do on this tour is that they take you down this elevator shaft and it's well lit and you get down into this cave and it's all well lit. There's lights everywhere. And then the tour operator shuts off all of the lights. And it is a darkness such like you have never seen before. Seen in air quotes because you can't see a thing. You can't see this far in front of your face. It is completely dark. But we know that God sees in the dark. And we could think about the, the blackness of these caves is one thing, but the blackness of our hearts is quite another thing. And God sees very vividly into the blackness of our hearts. And that's a blindness that often we don't see. We don't see the very sin that indwells our own hearts in the deep, dark recesses of our hearts, those sins that we've allowed to crowd in and crowd out other good things and righteous things. But God sees. Because God is everywhere. Because God has perfect knowledge. God sees all things. And God sees our sins. Hebrews 4.13 And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All things are open and exposed. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. God sees everything perfectly. He sees all of our sins completely. We're going to come back to that in a second. We could go on in this passage and see that God is also omnipotent. We see that in verses 13 through 16. God is omnipotent. That means He's all-powerful. He can do anything except sin. I used to tell my children that God cannot lie and he cannot die. Few things God cannot do. But God is all powerful. And we see that in verses 13 to 16, his power over creation, especially his power in creating people. Infants in the womb, we see his hand knits them together. And I don't know it's how it's possible for one to pick up a newborn baby and to look at that wee child, that infant, and then declare that there is no God. You have to be a fool, and that's precisely 
what the Bible tells us. The fool declares that there is no God. But we see God's sovereign hand in the created order. We see God's sovereign hand in created people. But that will have to wait for another time. I want us to to go back and talk a little bit about sin again. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Transgressing the law of God. And we are all guilty of it. And you might sit there and think, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not one of those looters who are back in New York City. I don't do all these terrible atrocities. I try to be a good person. And though we may not be as bad as we could be, in our sin, we are as bad off as we could be. We stand in the judgment of God. God is rightfully angry with us because of our sin. Outside of Christ, we stand condemned. So God sees. God sees our sin. But for those who are in Christ, there's good news. That's the bad news. God sees our sin. But for those in Christ, God also sees us in light of His Son. He sees us in light of His Son. We must all give an account before God, but in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, that accounting has been done. Every single sin paid for through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. So we must all give an account, but God has accounted for every one of our sins in the person of Christ. If we will but confess our sins, if we will but repent of our sins, God will forgive us. He is just and faithful to forgive us. That Christ Jesus has been the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus, God stamps our sin debt paid in full. All of them covered over. Before we had no ability to obey rightly, before all our righteousness were indeed as filthy rags. But as we walk in newness of life, God gives us the ability to obey. And so God sees our sin, but he also sees our successes. When we are walking righteously, when we are doing good deeds with proper motive, good deeds as God would define them, God not only sees our sin, but he sees our success and he rewards us accordingly. But there's something else that God sees. Something else that God sees. And I want to spend the remainder of our time looking into this. Because it is a great and gracious act that God does for us. And this is something that we are so often prone to forget. And that it's a passage like this that reminds us that God not only sees our sin, not only sees our successes, but God sees our sufferings. God sees our suffering. He doesn't forget about those things. And we look at the intimacy of this God and we see this intimate relationship that David has and that I hope that you have with the Lord as well. And we look at verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. There we see the protection of God upon his children. Verse 10. Your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's a picture of God's tender relationship to his children, this shepherding, this leading, holding our hand as we walk through this world. Verse 17 and 18, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the the sand. I awake and I am still with you. God doesn't push us away. 
We're going to arise and awake tomorrow morning and God is going to be with us. Even when we try to stiff arm His grace and walk our own way, God remains with us. Intimately acquainted with all of our ways, forbearing with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And though God is fully everywhere, and there's not less of Him anywhere, though He sees all things and knows all things, and He sifts our hearts and our minds and our deeds, our words completely, He knows us at our very worst And yet, He loves us fully and completely. He cares for us. He sees us and He sees our suffering. Like many truths, this truth is multifaceted. Yes, God sees our sin, but He also sees our sufferings. God sees Christ as a remedy to our sins. And when we come to Him, we then are able to walk in this newness of life. We are able to walk in success and God knows the struggles that we encounter in our day-to-day living. For the first seven years Tammy and I were married, we didn't take a vacation. We were just working consistently. And, uh, and once we finally took a vacation, I was thinking, great, I'm going to go on vacation and you know what's going to happen? I'm going to leave all of my troubles behind. You ever thought that? I'm going away. And there is an element of truth to this, right? We go away to be refreshed and to recover from the daily schedule and grind that we have, and that's a good thing. But the reality is that to a certain degree, our troubles are going to follow us, no matter where we go. A change of scenery is good. But no matter where the highway takes us, this summer, to a certain degree, we are going to be towing along baggage. We're going to be bringing that baggage with us to a certain degree. And I know some of you well enough to know that the baggage you are carrying is heavier than the trailer you'll be towing or the bags in your trunk. It's a heavy, heavy weight. And we have to be reminded that God sees us in our struggles, that God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is omnipresent, all of these characters and attributes of God, and yet this God loves us. And this God is going to be with us in our struggles. I invite you now to turn to Exodus chapter 2. It's page 46 in the Blue Bible, if you have one of those. Exodus 2, at the end of this chapter, it's dealing with the nation of Israel who's in bondage and slavery in Egypt. There's something very, very interesting that happens here in this account. We're going to pick up our reading in verse 23. And I want you to note the tenderness and the love and the care of God upon these people who are going through great trials and suffering. And along the way, I want you to notice something. Verse 23, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. That's the first thing we need to notice. God is a God who hears their cries. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. What a great picture that is of God's care and compassion for His people. 
The Lord heard their groaning, and he hears your groanings. The Lord remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he remembers the covenant that he's made with you. The Lord remembered his covenant. He remembered the people of Israel in their struggles, and he sees you in your struggles. Every one of them. And the Lord knew, God knew. He knew their plight, and he knew what he needed to do to remove them. And that set in motion the action plan of Moses being called and then delivering the nation by the hand of God from this slavery and back to the promised land. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And that should give us great comfort as we head out on the highway this summer. Wherever we are going, this is the God who is going with us. As you trust and you lean upon the Lord and His wisdom, waiting patiently for His deliverance in His time and in His way, and I know that's a struggle and that is difficult to wait, to be patient, to wait upon the Lord. The nation of Israel in bondage and slavery waiting, how long, O God? And yet God is working. God is at work behind the scenes. God has a plan that He's working out accordingly. And so we see that God has purpose in suffering. What is that purpose? What is the purpose in suffering? Well, some of the things that suffering does is that it drives us away from self-sufficiency and drives us to our knees. It drives us to the Lord. You know as well as I do, when things are going along really well, that we can slack off. And so sufferings remind us of our dependence upon God and that we need to have that close, intimate relationship with Him. And that is a good thing. It also orientates us towards heaven. We long for heaven. There will come an end to the suffering and the miseries of this world and this life. And we will be with Christ in the presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy at His right hand forevermore. Enjoying all of the riches, all of the fullness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it also, suffering produces patience in us. And we see that in Romans 5, verse 3. And then it also makes us empathetic towards others who are suffering. We can come alongside and encourage others. And I often encourage people who are going through trials to serve. To seek out opportunities to serve. That does a lot of different things. A, the church needs your service. B, it helps you to not focus on yourself and your troubles, but to focus on others. And then C, it also helps that person who's going through a similar trial that we have gone through to be able to get out and to move on. And so we are always to be an encouragement to our brethren in Christ who are facing similar difficulties. And that is not easy. It's not easy to think in those terms and to try to to move in those ways. It's not easy. It's a battle. And we see that in the Scriptures that we live a life of spiritual battle. This world is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we need to pick up our sword and to do battle. And that is a lesson that we learn from the Apostle Paul. It's a lesson that we learn from other great saints that we read about in God's Word. It's a lesson that we learn even from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will close with this, this encouragement to us in the book of Mark chapter 14. When faced with intense suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
leans upon the character and nature of God, as does the Apostle Paul. And in Mark 14.36, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be tried. He's about to be crucified. And the Scriptures tell us that he is in great distress, troubled, sorrowful, even to death. And perhaps you've been in that similar situation where you are troubled to such a degree that death would be better than the pain you are going through. Sorrowful, troubled, even to death. Great distress. And Jesus prays, and he prays, Abba, Father, dearest Father, all things are possible for you. Absolute confidence in the omnipotence of God. All things are possible with you. He can do anything. And then Jesus says, remove this cup from me. But we know that that didn't happen. That prayer was not answered in that way. There was a greater purpose at work. We know the cup of suffering was not removed, but yet he prays, remove this cup from me. And then what does the next sentence say? You all know it very well. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Total confidence in God's power and then complete submission to his wisdom and will. That is what we see pictured in our Lord Jesus Christ, that there was a greater purpose at work in that suffering. And so as we go away this summer, as we hit the highway, as we go down the road, we need to remember that God is omniscient, that God is omnipresent. He goes with us. He knows all things. He is all-powerful. And then we can lean upon his wisdom, his character, his love for us, that he is a God who bears and forbears with us, that he has settled our sin in the person of the Lord Jesus, and he sees our struggles. And in due time, he will deliver us in his way and by his will. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we can look at these concepts and they are stunning. They are so impressive. We do not comprehend them fully, completely, but yet as far as we are able, I pray that we would we would understand them and that we would apply them. And these lessons that we learn from your scriptures, we would always remember and take with us that you are our great deliverer and you will deliver in your time and in your way. And so we ask that you would bless us and encourage us this day. In Christ's name, amen. We will now take up our tithes and our offerings.